Let me give you a little advice. There's three rules that I live by. Never get less than 12 hours sleep. Never play cards with a guy who's got the same first name as a city. And never go near a lady who's got a tattoo of a dagger on her body. Now you stick with that. Everything else is cream cheese. Great game there, Scotty. All right, let's get to it. Lots to talk about seminars. Next one up April 1st through the 3rd, then June 3rd through the 5th, then August 12th through the 14th. All of those, of course, in Wichita Falls. For training camps coming up, we have two self-sufficient lifter camps on the list, one on March 19th and then one on May 14th. Both of those in Wichita Falls, both those covering the squat, press, deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. Then our first ever lift shoot fight camp, that's a two-day camp, April 30th to May 1st, covering the lifts, covering some shooting, and how to be a good snuggler. After that, we have a squat camp going on in Mobile, Alabama on March 19th. Then a couple of squat and deadlift camps still on the list, March 20th in Austin at Starting Strength Austin, March 26th in Moodus, Connecticut at Anino Strength, and then April 9th in Cincinnati at Starting Strength Cincinnati. Then we have our three lift camp, squat, bench, and deadlift on April 24th in Baltimore. That's at 5x3 training. And then finally, the Seoul Brothers in Seoul, South Korea, May 1st, a four lift camp covering the squat, the press, the deadlift, and the power clean. Speaking of starting strength gyms, I ran into my buddy, the one-man wolf pack, Ray Gillenwater, the other day, although he was upset with me for making fun of his purse. He kept insisting that it was a satchel and that Indiana Jones also carried one, so I needed to show him a little bit more respect. Anyways... For more information on anything going on with Starting Strength Gyms in particular, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. Check out what's to come and or request a location, show interest in a location, and who knows, we may be coming to your town. And as usual, for more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. How are you fine people today? Well, you're about to be even finer because we have with us today our friend Abil Manji. Uh, Abil is a heart surgeon. He is in uh, he is in uh, Connecticut right now, and he joins us from his home office in Connecticut. Abil, thank you for your time as usual. We uh, had real good... Uh, Real good comments about your previous visit when you came down and talked to us here, but uh, I thought it'd been long enough since we talked to you that we needed to talk to you again. And uh, well, thanks, Rip. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on again. And you know, it was a lot of fun a couple of years ago when we yeah. did this the last time. It was hell of a lot more fun actually visiting with you and you know yeah. going out and having a couple of drinks and stuff like that yeah the uh but the, you know the the powers that be have decided that we can't do that anymore we can't just get on an airplane and just go somewhere without being fucked with non-stop from the minute we leave the house to the minute we get back to the house so we're you know a lot of people have changed their schedule as a result of this and do not think that we won't remember this when it's time to vote for you pieces of shit this fall and again in a couple of years. Don't don't think we're going to forget that. Okay? 
Now, <laughs> uh, look at it's better than nothing. Oh, it's all we got though, so we got to take the shot. You know. <laughs> so uh, the reason we're talking today is uh, Abiel has written a paper. And well, we've has, written a paper. And, and we have written a paper. He has graciously included me in this. Uh, it's based on a lot of my material, but the, but the, the paper is The Impact of Sex on Strength Training in Adults with Cardiovascular Disease. And it appeared in the journal Clinical Therapeutics. And uh, I think it's, has that thing been assigned a publication date? And that thing, or is this just you know, it's, uh, it's available online. So it's uh, published as of. Um, well, it was accepted January 9th. Um, yeah, so, so um, yeah, that's the date as of which it's published, I would, I would surmise. No, maybe January 30th. It says accepted for publication January 9th. So they, that yeah. means that uh, the peer review went through and uh, the editor said, all right, we'll run it on January the 9th. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's a, this is a, 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 a fairly important piece of publication because now this is in, as they say, the literature. And uh, it's... Uh, it's as if, you know, this is stuff that we all know, but that nobody else really has thought about. So, Abiel, why don't you summarize this thing for us? Because this is sure. uh, this is very valuable. Well, Rip, maybe we give it a little bit of background also, right? And okay. tie it back to my <clears throat> last visit with you a couple of years ago. And at that time, the impetus for that visit was a question that I had asked you at one of your training seminars. I think it was back in the spring of 2018 when I th you had come out to Maryland and I'd come down for the weekend long seminar mm -hmm. and at your Q&A at the end of that session I asked you the question does strength allow people to live longer and your answer to that as I would have expected was yes but then you challenged me to say well you know what's the basis for that and that's really what you and I started talking about and mm -hmm. so when I came out to see you a couple of years ago we talked about the implications of strength training across a variety of diseases, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, COPD, uh, cancer, you know, heart disease, you name it, and had a fairly good review of the literature and a nice discussion back at the time that I think was well received by you know, a lot of your listeners. But that question has remained sort of gnawing at me in the back of my mind, which is that, you know, what is the impact of gaining strength in people who've already been diagnosed with something? And can it actually change the trajectory of their disease? So I think that was really the impetus behind yeah. studying this. And you'll remember when we went out to dinner, you had introduced me to a friend of yours who, you, who had had bypass surgery and who you had trained. Yes. Um, Scott and, Davidson. And, uh, Scott Davidson, retired Air Force. Retired Air and, Force. He's uh, currently employed as an instructor in the in the uh, simulator program out here at, at Shepard. And so he uh, he's uh, Scott's got a bunch of stories about flying B-52s. And I just right. I love to sit and listen to his his crazy stories about the strategic air command and things like that but it's uh yes <laughs> but he's still he was trained. just as eloquent over dinner you know when we sat down and talked about his experience recovering from heart surgery and he had gone through cardiac rehab and then 
you know, you took him on and he said, you know, the first training session he had had with you was the hardest thing he had ever done, right? So yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he's mentioned that several times, still talks about it because, and I think the upshot of that is that cardiac rehab is uh, it's silly and it's not sufficiently challenging to actually make any thing adapt since there's essentially no stress. And uh, his uh, his impression, and I, I I really didn't have him do much of anything. I think we had him had him squat the empty bar for a couple three sets of five. We we bench pressed, then we deadlifted forty kilos, eighty eight pounds for a couple of sets of five. And then I had him push the prowler, and he told me, and and, and at that point he's like three months post op, and he told me that this is about five times harder than anything they had ever had him done, had him doing cardiac rehab. And I, so this prompts the question, what the hell are they doing in cardiac rehab, Abil? I mean, God damn, this is, what an opportunity they've wasted. They've got these people there. They have them there. They have their attention, right? And what do they do with the opportunity? Nothing. Right. You know. So, you know, the, the whole thing with cardiac rehab, my so out of full disclosure, the editor for this journal for this special edition was my wife, who's also a physician. And she and I have had looked at the Yale experience with cardiac rehab. So we looked at the last uh, I can't remember how many patients, probably a couple hundred patients that had had cardiac surgery and gone through re- cardiac rehab. Mm-hmm. And the impact uh, is minuscule. Uh, and the reason we decided to do this was when you look at the literature on cardiac rehab and cardiac surgery, um, it's actually not that cleanly done, which is to say that patients who've only had a heart attack, patients who've had only a stent, and patients who've had cardiac surgery all generally lumped together for the purposes <laughs> of the analysis. Yeah. And that, as, as you would expect, shows that, well, people do quite well. But when you look at the cohort that's only underwent cardiac surgery, what they can report is that their cardiorespiratory fitness, or their VO2 max, improves dramatically, right? During but cardiac But it doesn't rehab. reach statistical significance. Right. Right? So you get a 30, well, let's, 40% let's, in your Let's clarify mass. that for the, for the people yeah. watching this thing. It improves significantly relative to their baseline, Right. But exactly. it doesn't so, so 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 to give it context, right? Right. Patient starts with being able to do two mets of activity, which to contextualize that is basically walking slowly across a room with some assistance. <laughs> right. And they'll improve they'll improve their mets by fifty percent. So they get three mets. three mets, which is that you're still walking slowly across the room. Right. The, yeah, this is all relative. The relative versus absolute situation exactly. that we run exactly. into right? statistics all the time. Right. But, but but when you look at look at what this is actually mean, you know, when we looked at recurrent cardiac events, death, freedom from death, freedom from rehospitalization, all the sort of bad things that could happen to you after a heart operation, cardiac rehab makes no difference. Right. And it makes less of a difference if you're a woman, actually. Really? If you're a female. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, that's interesting because it's widely recognized that, that females 
are at a much lower risk of cardiovascular disease than males. So, to some extent, Rip, although I think what's happening in our society is that that's all changing. I mean, you look at the percent of patients who undergo either angioplasty and a stent or undergo bypass surgery, it's a, it's a third of uh, a third of them are women and two thirds are men. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, those lines are great. I mean, it's still the, the greatest killer of women, cardiovascular right. disease, you know, more than cancer. So it was this you know, understanding that, you know, although cardiac rehab may have some role to play in terms of increasing people's fitness level, it doesn't really seem to have any long-lasting residual effect, at least in, in the cohort that we study. Right. So the question is, why is that? And then obviously, if you're dealing with fitness, but you're leaving out strength, you had led us naturally to this conclusion that, well, maybe the missing link is strength. And that's what you and I have been talking about all these years. Isn't it amazing that uh, that even has to be discussed? Uh, when, when the medical profession uh, talks about exercise, they mean minutes, number of minutes spent at an elevated heart rate. They never mean your deadlift. They, right. they do not understand this. And the exercise physiology programs all over the country uh, just reinforce this. They reinforce this, this, this lack. Well, you know, of I've, I've watched a lot of cardiac rehab being done. And so 80% of the time, 85% of the time is spent on a treadmill, you know, walking yeah. towards a calculated ta- max heart rate. And then the end, maybe some stretching, some yoga or resistant bands and the thing that i find inexplicable is that they may have them do some bicep curls or some isolated leg <laughs> extensions you know which that's not going to help anyone right no no so since i've started working with you i've been a big believer in strength i mean i tra- i've trained consistently for five years now <clears throat> i think the last time i saw you my squat was at a 355 a couple of months ago i squatted 455 yeah, deadlifted yeah, you, you, 545. You're looking good. So, you gained some gained some mass and neck's nice yeah. and big and you got some traps. Look like a lifter now. Uh, yeah, no, it's I was looking at the old video. I was like, geez, I don't look this strong. No. Yeah, and no. I've gained weight for sure. I gained oh, yeah. about 30 pounds of mass. Oh yeah. You know? Look great. Um the, but I, I'll tell you uh, what, the, question the, is, the you thing know, that stands out in my mind from our last conversation about this on the podcast was the statement you made. That that's probably the most significant thing out of that, out of that podcast. And what what that was is, you said that by the time you get to cardiac rehab, I've already had your heart out of your chest, and I've and I've massaged it and cut on it and sewed on it and slapped it around and you know beat beat the piss out of your heart. And yet, you are afraid that you're going to do something to it that's going to make you die. All right? The hard part is over with because the surgery's over. All right? That's right. And now it is time to make your heart do something that it previously wasn't able to do, and that requires a stress. And that was such an important thing to hear from um, a guy that has 
the experience of looking down into the chest cavity at where the heart lives every day and picking it up and messing around with it and putting it under what could only be considered to be a a giant physical insult and they're putting it back sewing the damn thing back up and then understanding that that individual now has passed the bottom everything that's the ultimate stress test that's the ultimate stress test is living through heart surgery and and once that has happened then there's nothing you can do to it on a treadmill that's going to do anything any worse than slapping it around on the operating thing. <laughs> it's, right. I mean, I mean it's, so, let's, so my let's just cut through right. the bullshit, and that was that was brilliant. But but that's a fact, right? Yeah. So so the the, the unspoken yeah. assumption here, of course, is that you know, assuming your surgery was successful, your surgeon did a good job, the blood is flowing where it's supposed to go, and assuming all those things are correct, which right. generally they are, otherwise it's hard to survive the operation, Right. then you should be able to stress, right? right? And I think it's critical, particularly in this cohort of patients, because they're all coming to us incredibly frail, incredibly behind the eight ball, right? right? And this is what our paper ultimately talks about, which is that, you know, if you look at males and females in general, you know, females have about two thirds the amount of muscle mass, skeletal muscle mass that that an average male would, you know, about two thirds of the strength. Adjusted for height, of course. Correct, correct. Adjusted for height. And for overall mass and everything. And then you look at the effect of age on that, Right. So females have the estrogen, obviously younger in life, which is protective against cardiovascular disease, also protects the muscle. But they have far lower levels of androgens, you know, testosterone and, right. and the like. So they therefore have a lower de- degree of uh, muscle mass on them. Right. But as you go through menopause, you know, the degree of decay in testosterone level is far more profound than what a male undergoes. So by the time you have a male and a female in their 80s, you know, both of them have lost significant amount of muscle, but for the female, it's even worse oh, yeah. than for the male because she was starting off relatively at such a at such a at such a lower level. And the only way that I know how to reverse that process or to arrest it is by training for strength. Right, right, because it's the only thing that addresses the structural degradation that accompanies age. Exactly. You, you lose tissue. You lose tissue, you lose muscle mass, you lose bone density, you lose connective tissue integrity and elasticity. All of the, you, and psychologically, you lose the ability to deal with pain. You lose the ability to deal psychologically with fatigue. All of these things are factors that are uh, a normal component of human aging. They're normal. Correct. They're not Correct. good. Okay, they're not good. Just because they're normal doesn't mean they're good. Okay, does everybody understand that? Like when you go to the doctor and your doctor says, well, your serum testosterone level, your total testosterone is 325, but that's within the normal range. And you say to him, doctor, I don't want to be normal. I want to be good. I want to be good. That's why I want it up. And he says, well... 
It's normal, you know. Well, it is normal at 80 years old to be weak and frail. But it's not good to be weak and frail. Okay, get even this the, into even, your get this into Rick, your mind. You know, even the thing about the testosterone is that it may not be normal for you, right? So, right, right. it it all depends on the decay, right? Because because that snapshot is not capturing the temporal element there. No, right? and you it's, may have had supernormal levels of testosterone when and, you were 19, yeah, 25. to which you are have previously been accustomed, and now you're having to deal with uh, infra physiologic. Exactly. Levels of, of, of testosterone. It's just not, uh, you know, it's just uh, this, this uh, as, as just a general comment, it doesn't apply to anything we're talking about. Medicine has uh, devolved into a, a, a thing that can be done, like in the GP's office. You don't need a GP. All you need is an LVN. She can read numbers. She tests, she has numbers, and then the numbers tell her what to do. Well, you, this is just we, we, we could talk, we could talk yeah. honestly for days yeah. about the, Problems you know, my and, feelings about the American healthcare system. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, which I, I think are profound and, and tremendously bad for us as a society, but, yes. but that's a separate Separate conversation. Separate show. But, we'll do it at, at, at some other point. We'll do it. But we will. Uh, but I the, think for this for this uh, uh, show, the the key point is that the more muscle mass you have on you as you age, the longer you live. Right. And that's scientifically documented. There are four studies that we cite in our paper. Your references twenty five through twenty eight that cite mm -hmm. exactly that. People have studied populations of humans as they age, and those who have the more muscle mass on them live longer. Yeah. And what we're doing separately is my wife and I, we found this gym uh, right here on the Connecticut shoreline where they cater only to people 50 and above. And what we have done is access all of their data and are cross-referencing that against the Connecticut state mortality data to see if there's actually a difference with people who exercise. And it turns out that there may be a signal there. Mm -hmm. Oh, I would expect so, that there would be. Uh, yeah, you, exactly. You, so when, so the, the upshot of this is that when you get through with, with heart surgery, all right, the, the thing that was wrong with your heart is fixed if we did the procedure correctly. And now it's no longer susceptible to the things that put you in the hospital because we fixed it and now it's time for you to understand that you have to push it and you have to push it and the most important thing to understand from this data is that people with more muscle mass live longer that doesn't mean that people who were born with more muscle mass live longer that means that people who have more muscle mass live longer and that you can grow more muscle mass if you just will do what's necessary that's Correct. the takeaway and, and here and i think the other takeaway is that it's never too late to start no never 
You know, you're starting your 40s, starting your 50s, start 60s, in your whatever. 80s. It's never too late to start. Start yeah. in your 80s. It's not going to work yeah. as well if you start in your 80s. It'd be better if you started in your 40s, anticipating being healthier in your 80s, right? That'd be better if you would do that. But if, let's say, you wake up one day and you realize, God damn, I'm a heart patient. I didn't want to be a heart patient. Well, so you get your heart fixed. And now what are you going to do? Remain a heart patient? You know, I remember the day I told uh, Davison, the day he first deadlifted 300 pounds, I said, Scott, here's some good news. You're no longer a heart patient. Now you're a lifter. And that kind of, he liked hearing that, I think. Of course he did. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you, you validated all of the hard work that he's done, that he's put into it. And, and look, at the end of the day, no one wants to be a victim of anything, right? Much less um, themselves. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Here's a so, tool so that a, you people can use to stop being a victim. And look, I'll tell you this story. My mother-in-law, who recently passed away, but she had lived with us here in Connecticut for several years, and she had some sort of degenerative condition that prevented her from walking effectively, so she had to use a walker. Mm -hmm. So obviously the big fear here was that, you know, she'll fall. Fall, right. And so my wife, who is as equally committed to strength training as I am, I think I told you about her. My wife weighs 130 pounds. She's got a 300-pound deadlift and a 255 squat. Yeah, that's So we started training. Good. We started training my mother-in-law in our garage to mm -hmm. squat, and she squats every day squatted every single day you know she would uh actually had her squatting with a barbell on her back oh, good. uh and she herself said that this is making me live longer right you know, she hated it at first well yeah i hate it now <laughs> so do i i hate days but I, I you know there's days i don't want to do this shit but it's thursday so i've got to train so yeah. right so uh well, that's the, the 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 so the upshot of this whole this whole discussion is that, and it it just pains me to have to say this because you know it's not as bad now as it was twenty years ago, but Western culture seems to have lost sight of the fact that that exercise means more than the number of minutes that you walk on the treadmill and I, I think that there's greater awareness now of strength training than there's ever been but I still do not think that most people have grasped the importance of the effects that strength training produces it's not just for your biceps we're not doing bodybuilding here. We're making normal human movement patterns stronger. And the way you make normal human movement patterns stronger is increase the size of the muscle mass that powers those movement patterns. And in the process of doing so, you increase the density of the bones and the connective tissues. And you improve cardiovascular health because of the effects of the fifth rep of a heavy set you, you affect, as I mentioned previously, the psychology involved in, in uh, doing things that are hard. 
And every aspect of your body adapts to strength training. All of it adapts to strength training, whereas there's a lot of it that doesn't adapt to walking on the treadmill. It's so frustrating. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I mean, in a way that it's simple to understand, and this has taken me a long time to understand this myself, but there are anabolic activities and then there are catabolic activities. You know, strength training is inherently an anabolic activity, right? Eating is an anabolic activity. Walking or prolonged bouts of cardio are catabolic activities. They tear things Open heart surgery is a catabolic activity. Even though we're making a repair, the general effect is catabolic because of the huge... 100%. The huge physical insult that is required to obtaining access to the heart muscle. Right. And so what we need to be doing over time, I mean, aging is a catabolic activity, right? So what we need to be doing in order to counter the catabolic effects of aging, of stresses such as illness and surgery, is to be spending the time when we're healthy, engaged in anabolic activity, building muscle mass, healthy muscle mass. When it's easier. (laughs) When it's easier, when you're younger, right? (laughs) Instead of waiting to your 80 and you've had a heart attack. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's the simple message of the paper. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. It's the same, it's the same prescription. I, you know, I, I would argue that it is more important for females. And I think that's the important part more. of the important part of the paper is that that since there are differences in the two sexes with respect to muscle mass and therefore with respect to the survival rates of profound cardiovascular events, that cardiac rehab by itself is inadequate for everybody, but it is especially a bad investment for females. Well, I think for females to spend all their healthy time running, I don't think it's a good investment. No. Right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with fitness. I think fitness is great. But I think I, I agree with you. Females benefit from spending more time engaged in anabolic activity, mm-hmm. you know, building muscle mass and building muscle strength yeah. than they do simply from cardio, which tends to be the preferred mode of exercise for most females. Well, that's what they've been taught. They've been taught that you don't want big, ugly, nasty muscles. Let your let your brother pick that up. You know, let your dad pick that up. Uh, you're just a girl. You need to you need to not do hard things because hard things build bulk, and it's just so unfeminine. Uh, it's also I'll just feel, untrue. Is, it's <laughs> untrue, but it's so deeply embedded in the psychology of this culture that it it. Uh, it's also know. untrue. I mean, if you yeah. believe that you know, if you believe what we've written in this paper that this is circulating level of of anabolic steroids like testosterone that are directly related to how much mass you can put on. 
Well, women just, you know, I've we've cited the numbers in the paper. You're dealing right. with fractions of the amount of circulating testosterone that a, that a male does. And therefore, you're not going to be able to put on the amount of mass that a male does. This well, is just bio, biological fact. How much uh, interaction have you had with the uh, uh, TR, TRT community, the testosterone replacement therapy community, with respect to women? Um, there are a lot. There's a there's a essentially a brand new aspect of the medical services industry that uh, is growing fairly quickly. Uh, where uh, the doctors provide additional levels of of hormones for females progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. And this is, it's, it's not being done correctly, in my opinion, but it's, but at least it's being done now. And it's, it's, there's just a lot of positive benefits associated with all the girls that I know that have gotten on this just love it. And uh, what do you think about that? <clears throat> you know, I don't have any opinion on that. I mean, I know nothing about that. I'm just, I'm just a heart surgeon rep. Hormones, a, you're, you're delving a, into all that. You're just a simple heart surgeon. The, just a simple uh, heart surgeon. Well, I, I don't talk about stuff that I don't know anything. No, about. I, I respect that, but uh, I think uh, it'd be good. To, I mean, look, I, I, I can talk about testosterone replacement therapy for men. Yeah. Right? So I think as men age. I think there is an advantage, you know, for men to have testosterone oh, depleted, but but to do so safely, right? Because right. Uh, I think it should be under the supervision of a doctor because testosterone does activate the endothelium. It does make it more sticky, you know, the lining of the blood vessels. So if someone is, for example, a smoker or has other medical conditions that may predispose them to developing blood clots or coronary artery disease or something like that, you know, testosterone therapy may not be the best thing for you, but. Well, um, I don't know, man. I think we're going to talk here to uh, Dr. Keith Nichols again here in about a week. And we're going to discuss this with him. And uh, he's got some interesting perspectives on this. And I'm going to specifically ask him about that question. Uh, the, uh, the conventional concern with, uh, testosterone replacement therapy has been in previously has been that elevated H and H hematocrit and, uh, hemoglobin levels, uh, predisposed to clotting issues. And, uh, his position on it is that that is absolutely untrue. It's never been demonstrated. And in the absence of uh, an abnormal platelet configuration, then uh, that's it's just not a problem. It's not a problem. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him specifically about that because it does seem as though it would be a concern. The, but like so many things, like so many things, what seems like it ought to be true often is not true. It seems as though a person who has had heart surgery needs to be careful about their levels of physical activity because now they're fragile and frail. 
when the fact of the matter is, is you have fixed that. And they need to get back into a position where they are challenging the ability of the heart to recover. And to do that, you have to apply a stress to it. But the conventional wisdom is, is oh, honey, now you're a heart pick. You, you just sit down and take it easy. No, man, and I would take it even one step you know, further, which is that I think everyone, all people should be strength training even before you become a heart patient mm -hmm. so that if you become a heart patient or a cancer patient or whatever have you, your ability to recover from that is so much more effective. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at our paper, we cite this other study that I was a part of uh, in which you look at the recovery rates of both men and women after heart surgery and where they're discharged to after they recover. Well, the rate of women being discharged after heart surgery to some sort of acute care facility, you know, like an inpatient rehab facility right. is twice that of men. And if you look at the outcomes of what happens to people who go to a nursing facility instead of home, their mortality rates are higher. Right. And why is that all? It's because they're frail. Right. This is the they're frailty. Just, they're just not frail them. enough to go home. Right. Not robust enough to go home. It's just, no, not robust enough, exactly. Not robust enough to go home. And uh, what will make you more robust? Think, boys and girls. Think being stronger makes you more robust. All right? And strong is very simple. Strong is lifting heavier weights. Yeah. Okay? That's all it is. It's not, a, it's not an odd concept. All right? And it doesn't matter if your grandmother is 74 years old. If she can't deadlift but 22 pounds right now, that's fine. She can come in next time and lift 24 pounds and then 26 pounds. And pretty soon she's deadlifting 100 pounds. Now, she won't believe that, but it doesn't matter. She just comes through the, the process and comes out the other side of the process and she's stronger. This applies to every human being. Every human being that is alive has the biological ability to adapt physically to a stress. This is the primary factor here. Can you adapt to the appropriate, the appropriately applied stress? And the answer is always yes, unless you've got you're the the victim of some. Uh, very rare musculoskeletal wasting disease like MD or something like that, everybody else is capable of adapting to a musculoskeletal stress, and the adaptation is strength. That's all there is to it. doesn't matter who you are. If you're an 18-year-old football player or that 18-year-old football player's grandmother, doesn't make any difference. The process works every time it is applied. And uh, and what I love about your process is that it's, it's simple, simple to understand, simple to teach, uh, and simple to follow. I mean, I have personally used your linear programming for years. And then when it got tough, I sort of went back to an intermediate type template, then uh, went back to a linear progression template. Yeah, I mean, I, I never imagined that I'd be closing in on squatting five plates. Yeah. Never in a million years. And how old are you now? 49. You're a kid. 
You're just a little boy. You're not even a freshman. Of the <laughs> I, I, not trust even. Me, I, I don't freshman. feel. I don't feel like a kid. <laughs> oh, I know. I don't. I'm 65, so uh, I'm I'm pretty beat up these days. But I still train. And wow. uh, you you just gotta. It's just part of the work day. You've got to. It's your responsibility to yourself to stay physically strong. As physically and strong as you, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's yourself, not like this is not like family. going. This isn't going bowling. This is not right. like going to the movies. This is, this is part of the job. It's part of the job. It's a task you assign yourself. And if you're capable of assigning yourself a task, this is the most important one you can do. You know, I'll tell you, I. Um... I find it interesting that there's so much <clears throat> talk in the culture these days about being mindful, you know, <laughs> and being present. I'm sure you've, you, you're familiar with all that stuff. Yeah, well, I'll I, tell I you like what, this new way to use nothing. the language. It's isn't it impactful. Yeah, but, but, but. That's a wonderful word, and we need to use that more often in sentences. Nick, write this down. Use impactful in a sentence in every podcast. All right, you got that? Impact. But what on earth is there? Is there more being mindful or present than trying to squat that thing? You know, for right. a few seconds. There right. is no zero distraction in no, life no. at that moment. People that have never done the fifth rep of the third set of five heavy squats do not understand their their own silly bullshit about being in the moment <laughs> yeah there is no more thorough uh example of being in the moment than that and uh, i agree it's completely, uh, it's, completely. Uh, any and that's the only uh, i don't know where else you can learn it any better than under the bar i've tried man i tried going for walks tried drinking <laughs> cigars <laughs> going for walks, being in the moment Stop. when you're in a walk, yeah. That work. <laughs> no, no, no. That fifth rep, that's where you're in the moment. That's yeah. where you know who you are. You know, what you're made up of. What, what you're made of. Do I yeah. have the balls to carry this thing down into the bottom and drive it back up, or do I not have the balls? Well, if you don't have the balls, you don't have the balls. Then rack it. And this make up an RPE number or something. And if, but if you do have the balls, you're going to learn something. You're either going to learn that not yourself. only did you have the balls, you had the strength, or you're going to learn that you had the balls and you didn't have the have the strength. And either way, you learn something, right? And and a lot of the strength is right up here. Oh, that's where it, at that point, that's where it is. That's where it is. Exactly. That's where it is. Is right. There. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, what else is going on? Anything? I well, I'll tell you. So we have these two interesting studies that, you know, we, we've done the studies. We're just waiting for the data to come in. The first is the one I talked to you about, sort of, you know, does hospitalization and mortality rates change in older adults who've been exercising or not? Mm -hmm. But the second study we did was we looked at 200 patients who'd had open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And found a gym over here down in Connecticut that uh, agreed to train these patients. You know, so a combination of strength training and some cardio 
mostly bicycles or rowing. Um, and we actually paid the patients. Says, you know, we'll pay you to come to the gym. Okay. It so improved out compliance. of 200, out of 200, how, how many do you think decided to participate? Oh, I would guess probably 30, 35. Yeah, 15. 15. I was, I was generous. Yeah. <laughs> Well, see, that, so that tells you that tells you an important thing, doesn't it? Tells you a very important, a very thing. very important thing. Uh, and one way we have said this in the past is that we are narrow casting. We are narrow casting. Most people lack the ability to do things that they perceive are going to be physically difficult. They lack the ability. They just can't. Rap. They would rather sit in the chair and die peacefully in front of TV than to do the things it would take to stay alive another four or five years and retain the function that the human body is supposed to have. There's a price to be paid for that function, and they're unwilling to pay it. I'll tell you, I was astonished by that number. Just by that number, because you know, you figure these are people with whom we have relationships. You know, we operate on all of them. Right. Saying here, I'm asking you to do this because I believe it'll be good for you. We're going to make it worth your while. We're going to pay you to go to the gym. All you have to do is show up, you know, and and these trainers will plug you into the protocol that we've written. Right. Seven and a half percent acceptance. Seven and a half percent compliance rate. Amazing. Just absolutely. For people amazing. who've had open heart surgery. Yeah. Well, it makes it easy to understand why you see people driving down the street in the car by themselves with their mask on, doesn't it? <laughs> makes it easy to understand that. Uh, people will disappoint you. <laughs> people will disappoint you, man. What are you afraid of? You know? What was that I saw on the... Uh, on the Babylon B recently, the seatbelt for people who were, it was just a seatbelt you wore, you know, when you're not in the car. <laughs> did, did you see that? It was so funny. The seatbelt that you just wear around, you know, I can't ever be too careful, you know. <laughs> can't ever be too careful. So, uh, well, anyway, uh, man, I appreciate your being on. Uh, oh, always you, a pleasure. You, uh, uh, you know, one of these days, maybe I'll drive up to Connecticut, and we'll go eat pizza. Uh, one of these days, you drive down here, and we'll eat steak or something. Yeah, but, no, let's uh, do it for sure. Look forward to that. I look forward to it also. Be Drink good, lots of bourbon. Yes, in fact. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you Likewise, for being Red. on. And we're talking about the paper in clinical therapeutics called The Impact of Sex on Strength Training in Adults with Cardiovascular Disease. You can find the abstract online. I think they probably want to get paid to let you read the full text, which is unfortunate. But uh, the abstract tells you what you need to know. Uh, again, Abil, thank you for being on with us. And thank, Always a pleasure, Reverend. Thank you guys for watching us on Starting Strength Radio.